Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is May 16th, 2016, and this is episode 164. My name is Jake English, and as always, I am riding on the coattails of Scott Magnus. If you're listening to my voice right now, you're most likely doing it at our website, which is birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. It's also possible that you found us at the Baltimore Sports Report Network, which is at baltimoresportsreport.com slash network. You can also find us at Baseball Talk Radio, where we appear with a lot of other great podcasts uh, about baseball at large. You can catch this show on third-party platforms, including Google Play Music and iTunes. And please, if you do so, rate and review this show. We really appreciate it. You can find Bird's Eye View all over social media on Facebook, Google+, Snapchat, Periscope, Instagram. But most importantly, on Twitter, where we tweet at Bird's Eye View, B-A-L. And with that, Scotty, let's do it. What is your drink of the week? Jake, drink of the week this week is going to be a Jack and Coke. Nice and simple. Mm, nice and simple beverage. How about yourself? I am drinking. It was finally warm. The sun came out. So I went to a Shandy. I'm drinking a Big Squeeze UFO uh, by Harpoon. Is that a grapefruit? It is a grapefruit. I think this is probably my favorite grapefruit beer. Better than the grapefruit Sculpin from Bayless Point? Yes. Okay. Well, with that, if you want to check out what we're drinking during the week, check us out on Untapped at M-A-G-N-8606 and Jake E-4025. With that, let's get in to the medical wing. Yeah, not too much new on the medical report, at least in my opinion. Um, Biggest news is Giovanni Guerrero started throwing again this past Saturday. All indications from him is he's going to come back uh, as a Cy Young winner uh, for the rest of the season. <laughs> um, so expect big things from him. And in fact, you know, everyone that works for Masson thinks that he's going to have big things come back from him. I'm thinking, you know, that track record is really going to speak for itself uh, for the second half of the season. Uh, JJ Hardy is starting to get ready to go down and start doing some preliminary rehab. Uh, as much as that's encouraging, again, don't expect anything miracle to happen. This is still going to take the two months that it originally happened. You're still looking for J.J. Hardy to come back July-ish, probably post-All-Star break. Um, and those are the two big names, I think, that are currently on the medical wing. Yeah, and here's the thing about the medical wing that I find is interesting. Um, every team is going to deal with injuries, right? It was Adam Jones. Uh, Giovanni Gallardo, who was signed to be a, a bolster to the staff. You've got J.J. Hardy, who's a defensive stalwart and was actually having an okay year at the plate. Um, it's how you overcome these injuries, right? And for the time being, at least, 
the Orioles have managed not to have this become a problem. So uh, by I'm, putting Pedro Alvarez at third base, let's let's not say that out loud. Okay, don't don't look at a mirror and say it three times in the dark. Bad things will happen. Gotcha. But I, I'm somewhat uh, I'm somewhat enthused by the fact that uh, injuries have not yet uh, hurt the Orioles. All right. Well, let's go to 140 characters or less on this week on the Twitter. First tweet comes from our. Well, my personal spirit animal in terms of baseball Twitter, Jeff Sullivan at baseball underscore ball. And Jeff gets a little deep right here. Nothing like an impromptu sports fight to remind you that behind a thin veneer of civility, every last one of us is a bloodthirsty monster. Wow. It's true. It's harsh. It's true. I mean, I'm not as impressive as all that, but I'm still a bloodthirsty monster. All right. Maybe a cookie monster. All right, next. Cookies. Next, we're going to go to a tweet from Dan Connolly, who tweets at Dan Connolly 2016, um, with a link to his article from uh, BaltimoreBaseball.com. And the tweet reads as follows, O'Day on first base umpire's call, colon. Mark Wagner, or Mark Wagner absolutely embarrassed himself. Someone's going to get a fine. Cha-ching! I don't understand the point of that, to be fair. I mean, I, I think it comes back to, was it a questionable call? It was borderline. I don't know if you've seen the – you were at the game on Sunday. Did you see the replay? No, I didn't see the replay, but I can tell you that from uh, section 360, row 19 – So the it was third a, base side. It was a very compelling swing. Okay. Well, I, I thought it was very close. Um, but to come out and basically trash the umpires like that, I don't really know what the point was. Um, next tweet comes from at Bird Terrifier, um, also known as Chaz Stewart. He tweeted at us following last week's episode, you keep letting the women folk on and you're going to get Wally pipped. Also been amazed Warehouse hasn't been struck yet. Look, I think we've already been shown that we've already been Wally pipped because there's no way that we're starters anymore. We're just, you know, filling in, uh, waiting for the people to take uh, waiting for our wives to basically take over. That's we're just true. Bench, we're just filling the void. This aspect of our life and every other. Yes. All right. Lastly, I want to talk uh, about something, but I want to do it with a great tweet. Okay. This tweet uh, comes from at the underscore Zoobs. Uh, okay. Some sort of Toronto Blue Jays person um, who uh, who tweeted, plan the parades with a subtweet to uh, Rock Kabaka's announcement that the Blue Jays had picked up uh, Swingin' Jimmy Parades on waivers. Uh, so yeah, Scotty, uh, another uh, another example of the Toronto Blue Jays. I'm going to try to avoid using the word sloppy seconds. Um, another example of the Toronto Blue Jays taking off casts of the Orioles. Um, they did it with Nolan Rymel. They tried to do it with Steve Pierce, and here you have uh, Jimmy Prady. So if you are the 26th best Oriole, there's a pretty good chance you could be a Blue Jay. Yeah, I just think that we should retaliate and uh, go out and get Miranaro Karasaki uh, in, in retaliation. I think that's an excellent idea, only because he owned us otherwise. And I just like him as the mascot for any team. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, with that, um, you know, it's it's been an interesting week. Uh, a lot of winning Orioles baseball. And, and as much as this podcast has been around some winning teams since we started in 2012, it still seems odd Let's break down all the issues with rooting for a good team.
So in many ways, I think when things happen, such as this week, where you've got really good Orioles baseball and then Sunday comes along, I think it kind of emphasizes the whole fact that it's really kind of odd to root for a good team. And the Orioles were coming off a seven-game winning streak, and then came Sunday, and the winning streak ended. Again, not outlandish. It would have set a franchise record. Uh, This is certainly not something that uh, is a death knell for this team, but there is a lot of overreaction and blowing things out of proportion to a bit of Sunday. And I even kind of got into a little bit of fun of it uh, and, and kind of played a little bit of a joke on my co-host Jake English um, with the hashtag ban Jake, which, you know, we do have a, a, a Kickstarter fund going for that. If you po- folks want to uh, uh, contribute, but there are so many places from which uh, there are Kickstarters uh, posted from to for, ban me for hashtag ban Jake. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, with social media having such a significant effect on sports culture, um, the idea of the hot take has become prevalent over the past few years. Twitter has, is pretty decent for it. Facebook is notorious for it for the Orioles. Um, I, I guess the question is, you know, this team, the way it is, how do we for, avoid being so chicken little um, throughout the marathon of the 162-game season? These little blips and blurbs on the radar are going to happen um, how do we get past these hot takes that are out there and get to the meat of the matter? And I, th- I think you said it just perfectly in the fact that we've we've had so many bad clubs, yeah. right? And so we know bad, right? We know bad, and we know what's you know what's bad and what's worse and what's worse than that. I'm not sure that even four years removed from the 2012 buckle up birds, that we really have a good way to react when things are good, and then like a level. Uh, proportionate reaction to either outliers or just baseball that happens amidst a good season. I'm concerned that we have, we as Oriole fans in this, you know, fledgling era of not suck, we have very little basis to, to, to go for. So I, I just wanted to take a couple of those hot takes that, that you referred to, bounce them back and forth and see, is it legit or, or is it, just too much. All right. So let's go with hot take number one. Jake, why don't you go ahead and take this one? Well, it's Joey Rickard, right? Joey Rickard has no business leading off on this club. He needs to be replaced as the leadoff hitter. We hear a lot of that. Oh, we hear, hear a lot of it. Um, and you know what? Joey Rickard is struggling right now. Um, and he certainly is not doing great um, at the plate in terms of putting solid contact to the ball and not getting those bloops and those flares like he was earlier this season. The luck dragon has abandoned him. Hey, the luck dragon, he's in a slump. And again, all players are going to go through a slump. Um, I, I guess the question comes back to is, should Joey Rickard potentially spend a little bit more time on the bench and should he be in, in that leadoff spot? And, you know, he probably does need to see some more time on the bench. Um and he needs to do that to kind of be productive just for the team, but also let other players circle in. I think it'd also be good to have him be on the bench so he could just watch the game with certain players and just kind of get a conversation and talking and just see different aspects. A lot of this time, you know, Joey Rickard's getting up there and he's never seen some of these pitchers before in a game situation. It'd be really good to sit down with a few players on the bench and a few of the coaches and just talk out situations and scenarios and I don't even think it's just that from the offensive side, too. I think it's also important to think things through from the defensive side because Joey Rickard, again, hasn't been the greatest aspect defensively. He makes some really nice plays occasionally, but he also makes some plays that you're just like, wow, why'd you take that risk when you didn't need to? So let me ask you a little bit about Joey Rickard's uh, defense. Is it 
is it that he has tools and his deficiencies are between his ears or is it a lack of experience um, at any level? Um, because clearly he's played outfield before he got to the majors. Mm-hmm. Or is it just that he's not that good a defender? I think it's a comfortability factor. Um, Kim Depot, Matt Kremitzer had a great article this past week on it uh, about Joey Rickard's defense. Highly recommended. Um, um, but he goes into the aspect of some of the positive plays that Joey Rickard has made and some of the negative plays that he has made. And I think it's just the aspect of it. This is a player that is coming into his own and getting a feel for it. And that's a whole lot of pressure for a Rule 5 draft pick Mm -hmm. to basically come up and say, yep, you're going to play every single day. And we're expecting big things of you to basically be a a, a starting left fielder. Um, I think it would be a lot more beneficial for him to basically be moved back into that ninth hole spot. I think it'd be a lot more beneficial for him to kind of platoon with Reimold occasionally and get Reimold out there a little bit more often. I think that too much weight is being put on Joey Rickard, and I don't see the necessary need to have that much weight put on Joey Rickard. Joey Rickard can contribute value to this team. I just don't think it has to be with the given amount that it is right now. So this hot take, I kind of agree with to a certain aspect. Joey Rickard probably shouldn't be leading off, and he probably should be cycled in with other players. The problem is there really isn't another great option between between besides Manny Machado being the leadoff hitter. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you this, and this is the devil's advocate part of me taking over here. The Orioles lost their first game, you know, in eight games yesterday. Yeah. They they lost yesterday to fall back to 10 games above 500. Oh. You know, leading the American League East. Is Joey Rickard a problem? Like, is, is the growth of Joey Rickard learning on the job at the major league level, is it a problem? Uh, right now it's not a problem because it's being shadowed by everything else is the best way to describe mm-hmm. it. But mm-hmm. when people start going cold across the board, Joey Rickard is going to stand out. And I think to a certain regard, when the offense got cold there for a few games, I think people started to know how bad Joey Rickard was playing when the offense got hot. And it was just like, eh, who cares about Joey Rickard? Because at least the lineup was continually turning over basically. Yeah. And look, I don't want to beat up the kid. I mean, I, I have nothing against him. I, I agree with you in the fact that I think it would be good for him to see less playing time, particularly when he's struggling. Because I, I think if you look at the, the stat line since April 22nd, he's he's had a rough go of it. Um, I, I'd also like to see more of Reimold, exactly as you indicated. Um, you Did know, you the, know that Nolan Reimold's like fifth on the team in terms of F4? He has like a 0.5 F4. Yeah, but isn't it like a small sample size at this point? It is a small sample size, but F4 is just a cumulative aspect. So he's made some significant contributions in a very limited sample size, which is very odd. Hey, I'm I'm all about Nolan Reimold and uh, you know getting everything you can out of him before he breaks down. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think I agree. Joey Rickard has no business leading off. I, I agree with you, number nine. I also agree that he, he needs to see a little more pine so that the... Uh, so that the uh, uh, you know the other guys, both, both Kim and Rymel, can play more. But I got to be honest with you. Until the Orioles hit another extended rough patch, I'm kind of okay with having a just rolling it out there. And just below don't... average player trying to become average. Okay, that's fair, and, and maybe that's the right answer. Is if it's working, don't mess with it. But I I would I wouldn't go so as uh, so far as to say that I was right. Let's let's not okay. go that far. All right, hot take number two. And this is something we talked about before the season started, and we're still talking about it now. Yeah. You know, at this point in the season, the rotation's ineffectiveness is going to bull- burn out the bullpen. Scotty, you take this one. Well, this week the Orioles' rotation did great getting deep into games, 
And we talked about this in previous weeks where it was a small sample size and people were talking about, oh, they're only getting like five and a third innings. Well, now just over just one week, they're up to five and two thirds and they're up at 22nd in Major League Baseball. Is it great? No, but it's not terrible and it's not historically awful. I think when all things come at the very end of the season, I think the Orioles are going to be right there with the innings pitch just like they were last year. Uh, and, I, and I think they'll be right around five and two thirds of an innings pitch, which you would always want six innings. But in honesty, with the rotation that they have, that's probably what they're going to get. And they're going to be 20th in the in the league or so in terms of innings pitched per game, basically. I have so low expectations of Mike Wright. And I don't mean that maliciously. I just I think he's being improperly used. Yeah. Right? I, I think that he is an excellent um, torch reliever. I, th- I think that he would, would fill very admirably the Tommy Hunter role. And someday when he becomes too expensive, maybe even the Brad Brock role. But I don't think that he's going to be a good starter in this league. Not that I don't want that to happen, but no. I, I just I don't see it happening. And I don't think anybody that would have looked at him in the farm system and said he's going to be a really good starter. I think most people that look at this on a daily business would say Mike Wright is at best a fifth starter and more than likely is a, a long man bullpen arm, basically, that can come in and get you three to six outs. And having said all that, he had he had a decent week. You know, he had a decent yeah. start this week. And if we can continue to see, you know, impressive signs from Mike Wright, maybe he can be a fifth starter in this league and surprise me. And that would be okay. You know, that would be certainly worth having. And it would it would certainly exceed all the other uh, uh, pitching development that the Orioles have been able to put together of late. So, you know, I, I say, great. We've seen a week. We've seen a good week. Now show me another one. I'm definitely open-minded about the fact that they can, uh, you know, they can string a, a good week or two together. But uh, I, I don't think that the bullpen is going to get burned out. I think that the the starters will probably give them just enough, um, and that won't be the story that we're talking about come August and September. And the other thing too is we really haven't seen too much of a Norfolk shuttle at this point. I mean, the Orioles have been pretty decent. I mean, they have option players back and forth, back and forth. But we really haven't seen the aspect of Buck being like, all right, I'm going to have to go call a reliever up immediately. There was talk about maybe calling up a reliever on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing ever happened of it. So Buck is little is thinking about it and observing it. But I don't think it's the situation of um, the bullpens are being overused. I think that was more of a situation where O'Day and Britain were used in consecutive days back to back. And I think Buck said, well, if I'm going to be down two bullpen arms – I'm going to want to have someone to go just in case we go to extra innings. Unfortunately, that didn't happen on Saturday. That was a big game to get out of. Um, and also Brock to come in and get those two innings to close out the game. It's a huge benefit to get from Brock. And keep in mind, we also haven't seen a healthy Gallardo this season. And I'm not saying the guys... We might not ever. I'm not saying the guy's <laughs> going to be an ace. But if he comes back later in the season and is an effective pitcher, you know, even if he's a Baldo-esque you know that's that's a, a shot in the arm for this club. So I, I don't know about you. I say the starting rotation is probably going to be fine. Yeah. All right. Here's another one that I thought was a good one. Um, this was after Sunday's game. Good teams don't blow leads like this, especially at home. Yeah, they do. Absolutely, they do. That's and baseball, this, dude. This happens all the time. And and just to put this in perspective, so far for the season, the Orioles right now in terms of relievers are third in win probability added. They're number one in RE24, which is run expectancy over 24 uh, outs, which basically equates to an additional 2.5 wins just because of their bullpen 
uh, for the Orioles. Um, I mean, this team, from a bullpen standpoint, is right there with the Kansas City Royals in terms of dominance from the bullpen. It's almost comical in nature uh, in, in terms of the bullpen where I, I get to a certain point with O'Day and Britain, and even Brock to a certain aspect now too, where I'm just like, I can walk away from the television and be comfortable in a one-run situation. I'm like, eh, I'll be okay. In fact, Sunday, I specifically was taking care of a few things, walked out of the room, and I came back, and I was like, eh, he's got two outs. You know, let's get over to the ninth, and we'll come in and bring Britain in. And then chaos happened. And I was like, holy crap. Um, but I feel so comfortable when it happens. And I think all Orioles fans do. You're occasionally going to have a blow up. You're occasionally going to have a blown save. But it is a blip on the radar, all things considering, to how most bullpens act in Major League Baseball. And it's magnified by its rarity. Exactly. So I, I hate this notion of... Uh, good teams don't lose like that. And also this whole aspect of, well, if you lose those kind of games, they're going to go show up at the end of the season. You can pick out multiple games from any team. You know, let's take, for example, the Cubs this week. The Cubs lost a doubleheader two games in one day to the San Diego Padres. I mean, this happens to good teams all the time. So Orioles fans are going to have to get used to losses that are frustrating like that. And the other thing is when losses like that happen, you also need to think about the games that you have no business winning. Yeah. You know, when your pitching staff gives up eight runs and you win anyway, right. that's a gift. Yeah. And and I think that you'll find that the gifts and the tough losses like this basically average out. And the Orioles have actually done a great job this year um, in terms of comeback wins. I know Masson has mm-hmm. exemplified that. But we were talking about it last year, um, and we were talking saying that doesn't really feel to be any, like, magic. Uh, and there was really no walk-off wins or anything like that. I think the one walk-off win we had uh, going into last year's like All-Star break was the David Lowe walk-off, and that was basically the only walk-off we had. And just think of all the great games that we've seen so far this early in the season in terms of clutch hitting, comeback wins, and then walking off the games. I mean, it's just been a really good season from a clutch performance. Uh, it's one of those situations where even if the team is down by two to three runs, you still feel like they can come back any inning. That is that is the the prime point, I think, for the, the game. Because there have been so many seasons where the game goes to script. Right? Yeah. The Orioles fall behind, and you know exactly how that game is going to yeah. end. Right? I mean, we watched it for 11 years or 14 years or whatever it was. At this point in 2016, I don't feel like the Orioles are out of very many games. No. Even, even down early, I don't feel like they're... They're out of very many games, and that's that's a really good place to be in. And even when you have games like Sunday, where you know one of your best reliever, certainly your best paid reliever, gives up two back to back home runs and successive pitches, first time since 2000, 2011, by right. the way, gives up successive uh, home runs, and then the Orioles go down quietly, six up, six down, which is unfortunate. But that's not the norm. Yeah. They don't roll over and die Correct. the way they had in the past. And so I, I agree with you. I think this is a good team, at least what the record sh- shows right now. And, yeah, they're going to blow leads, and they're going to have really frustrating games. But that's baseball. Yeah. Hot take number four. Attendance is down, and players know it. Why don't you go out there and support a winning team? All right. I am the... This, by the way, was from Jake English. I'm the champion of show up to the ballpark, people. Show up to the ballpark. Um, And I I will say 
that I understand that we seem to have taken Seattle and London and thrown them both on top of Baltimore uh, here in the spring. Uh, it's it's cold, it's rainy, it's ugly. But let four years of winning, right? Four years of non-losing ball. Let's put it that way. Um, you know, season ticket sales are going well. Are you? Are they? Are you surprised that that there are so few butts in the seats uh, on TV at this point? No, because I, I looked down at DC and they are seeing a similar drop in terms of attendance. Um, maybe a little less than the Orioles, but a similar drop this season. I think it's weather dependent, but I also think to a certain regard, um, and uh, Stan the Fan actually had this on a Press Box Online article um, for his May edition. You know, the Orioles didn't didn't do themselves any favors. And I know you said that their season ticket sales are probably up, but I'm not sure if I can actually state that or not. They waited really late in the game this year to get season ticket invoices out. They also raised ticket prices by about 20%. There's a lot of people that didn't renew their season tickets. And when you don't renew season tickets, you're going to take a hit on the middle games. And I'm not talking about Saturdays and Sundays. I'm talking about that Tuesday night game mm-hmm. or that Wednesday afternoon game. You really need to get those season tickets and that corporate buy-in if you're going to have higher attendance. And the Orioles did themselves no favors in terms of doing this. I certainly hope next year that the Orioles go out – um, and they offer the season tickets in December. Um, maybe they offer that holiday pack like they did before. I think that's a great opportunity to get people in seats in April and May. Um, and, and the Orioles need to do as much as possible right now to get folks in the door in April and May. Because once June, July, and August comes around, it's going to be crowded because you've got nice weather. People are looking for something to do. But April and May, you need to incentivize the fans to come out in, in some fashion. Yeah, you're right. And I think it's I think it's funny because back in 2012, the Orioles started winning. And there were games in August and September where the Orioles were begging people to show up, right? They were doing throwback prices for— 1994 uh, prices yeah, or something like that? For yeah. series against the Rays yeah. and things like that where—or you could, you could buy an upper deck ticket and basically— get a free upgrade downstairs. I mean, it was just crazy, right? Yeah, I think we were buying tickets for like 10 bucks for downstairs or something like that. It was minor league baseball at its best. I think that the Orioles need to find a way to take a look at their their schedule. And you know, you know that they track this stuff. Of course. Take a look at their st- schedule and say, here are the games that sell the, the poorest. And, you know, they've tried everything under the sun from uh, day of game surcharges to variable prices and I think that you're right. They need to do something around the holidays and say, hey, for this suite of games, we're going to knock your socks off and we're going to make it impossible for you to not buy tickets. And the thing is, too, like right around the holidays, you and I both know when we go to FanFest, and, and Stan mentioned this in his article, you were literally, literally salivating for anything baseball related, like just to get something in your hands that you probably don't even need. You will basically hand money over tooth and nail right now. Where right now in his article, he's like, you know, it's starting in the spring and summer, you know, money, you're like, eh, do I really want to do that? Or can I just stay at home tonight and listen to Jim Palmer and Gary Thorne basically make me laugh? It's a lot easier to basically do a pre-buy, you know, six months in advance than to do a day of and say, eh, is it really worth my effort or can I just go home and watch it on Masson? Absolutely. 
I, I have heard and, and seen, I've actually read this somewhere, that the uh, Orioles are second to the Royals as far as uh, viewership is concerned. Yeah. The ratings uh, are are doing much better, which I believe you can see by the number of uh, ads that Masson runs for itself decreasing and ad space going up. All right, next hot take. The Orioles better lock up Manny Machado now or they'll lose him. I'm going to throw this one out and say moot point. And I know that's odd because I wrote it, but yeah. uh, I'm going to say moot point. And I think you hit the nail on the head uh, either last week or two weeks ago when you said, is there anything better than watching Manny Machado play right now? He's just a joy to watch and yada, yada, yada. You're right. Absolutely. Forget about the contract situation. Because here's the thing. I know that the Orioles have have tried in the past and they obviously didn't hit the right number, Right. And Manny Machado is one of the best players in baseball. Like, let's let's not pretend that he's going to take a hometown discount because he's just a great guy. Manny Machado is one of the, like, five, ten best players in the world at this baseball thing. He is going to get paid a ridiculous amount of money, whether it's the Orioles or somebody out, uh, somebody else. Look, if he rides this out, he rides it out. So... You've got Manny Machado at least through the end of 18. Yeah. Just enjoy him. And, and the thing is, I remember back to the situation a few years ago uh, when Adam Jones's contract was coming to a head in the next few years. We were just like, oh, what are we going to do with Adam Jones? We've got to sign him. we got to sign him. And there's a whole aspect of like, well, we're probably not going to sign him. So like, do we start to figure out like if we should train him? And then, you know, magically a deal worked out. You know, the Orioles know where they need to be. Manny Machado's agent knows where they want to be. If something's going to work out, something's going to work out. But there's no point to be worrying about whether or not it's going to happen. The only time that you maybe should be worrying about it is maybe in that last season when you say, okay, did the Orioles have a chance of getting to the playoffs? Mm-hmm. If they don't have a chance of getting to the playoffs, is it worthwhile to trade it? But you know what? That's two seasons away. Don't think about it now. Just focus on the play, not the business side of baseball in this regard. And the MVP caliber play. Correct. Let's not it's, – it's not hard – to forget everything else and just watch him play baseball. Right. All right, last hot take. At 36 games into the season, we do or do not have enough of a sample size to know who this team is. You hear it both ways. Yeah. People saying, oh, it's too early. It's too early. It's too early. And enough, and, 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 and uh, a whole lot of other people saying, oh, you know, we're about 20% of the season. So, you know, we, we've got a rough idea of where everybody stands. Scott, what do you think about the sample of this 36 games. So you and I both predicted that the Euros are going to finish with uh, about 78 wins this year. I did. Um, and most people projected the Orioles had about a 10 to 15% chance to get to the playoffs this year. And according to most uh, projection modelings right now, the Orioles have greater than a 50% chance now to get into the postseason. Now, that can easily change over time very quickly. But the fact that the Orioles have gone from, let's say, 15% to 50% just indicates how much equity they have built up. And like we talked about earlier, you're 10 games above 500. You can go on a few periodic streaks, and you won't be um, in any terrible situation. I'm not saying that they should, um, but the Orioles have a little bit of equity that they can lose a few games here or there or play 500 baseball. Play 500 baseball the rest of the season— you're probably going to get a wild card spot. It's as simple as that. Here's uh, and you are right to call me out on the fact that I predicted failure for so, them so did I. out of this season. But I, I think that we've seen enough to know, or we've seen enough. That my opinion is as such 
that the Orioles are in the conversation, yeah. right? That the Orioles are going to be in the thick of things. I can't look at this 36 games and tell you, oh, yeah, the Orioles are playoff teams. Absolutely. Right. I can, however, tell you that they are going to play meaningful games in September. Yeah. And I think that's the whole thing is they're going to play meaningful games in August and September, and they're going to keep it interesting. Uh, I think they're going to be battling for a wild card spot. They might not get that wild card spot, but they're going to be battling for that wild card spot. I, I think at 36 games, you know enough about who this team is to know that the offense is going to be there, that the bullpen is going to be there with a few blips, and that the rotation is going to struggle, but it's going to be uh, okay. Not terrible. All right. Well, we have some um, we've got some additional like little kind of notes here that we need to take care of. Jake, you you want to take care of this really quickly and maybe say some some thank yous across the board? Sounds good. All right, Scott, it's Monday. Um, so we got a lot to do. Uh, stopped the liquor store before showing up. You uh, revamped the entire studio. I did. While I was gone. Um, but I'm a little behind. You know, I did some yard work. I worked late. I'm really sorry, but this is the day I usually take care of uh, some thank you notes. Yeah. Would, would it be all right if we just hammered out some of these right now? I think you can go ahead and take care of some. Yeah, right. I appreciate that. All right. And you've got some music. All right. This is thank you writing music. I, I appreciate that. All right, thank you, Rugnet Odor, for doing exactly what I want to do every time I see Jose Bautista. I'm going to take one here. Uh, thank you to Adam Jones for proving me wrong last week. Called you out, said you probably should go to the DL. Yeah, you made me look stupid. Keep up the good work of making me look stupid. Thank you, kids run the bases on Sunday afternoons. For giving this 30-something dad the opportunity to walk down on the field level while my kids uh, something, 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 something. Thank you to Chris Maurer for giving me a lovely, lovely gift of Jim Palmer in his underwear for me to caress and hold in my arms this evening. Well done, sir. Well done. Thank you, Dylan Bundy. For providing the opportunity, at least weekly, to use the phrase dry hump in mixed company. Thank you, Buck, for constantly proving us wrong on Twitter of when we second guess why the heck you're bringing Mike right out in the seventh inning. We love to rant, but you like, like to make us look foolish. He also likes our guys. He also likes our guys. Thank you. Brian Roberts, for not being Mike Bordick. Thank you, Diana Roberts. Well, you know. All right, thanks. I, I feel like we accomplished a lot here, Scott, and I got all that taken care of. But it seems to me we have just a little bit more business to take care of this week. We always have a few more businesses to take care of.
Ooh, that feels good. Who is that? That's BB King, by the way. All right, so um, last week's category was uh, a, a count of players' hits with a launch angle of 25 to 35 degrees combined with an exit velocity of 95-plus miles per hour. And uh, Jake, you picked Pedro Alvarez. I went with Mark Trumbo. You smoked me, didn't you? It was 4-1 to one in terms of Mark Trumbo to Pedro Alvarez. And there were some really interesting numbers here in, in terms of this that I thought was kind of cool. Did you know Mark Trumbo actually had four of these, and then one of them was actually a fly ball out? It was that one that was to deep center field, right in front of Canada's. It was like a 400-foot fly out, basically. Extremely frustrating, especially since that was on Sunday's game. Um, it would have been really nice. But Pedro Alvarez's one was, again, another 400-foot fly out. <laughs> so Pedro Alvarez and Mark Turner both had uh, nearly guaranteed home runs taken away from them um, because of the Babbitt Dragon. So well done, sir. Um, so we're going to do this a little differently this year. We're going to let the loser pick the category uh, this year. And uh, we'll see how that works out for us. But I take the lead one nothing. Jake, what's your category going to be for this week? All right. So you you picked a, a combination last week, and yeah. and uh, I'm I'm going to try to do the same. Not quite as uh, elegantly. Yeah. You just mentioned the Babbitt Luck Dragon, so I'd like to I'd like to factor in success, right? Because I, I don't want us to be picking who's going to have the hardest hit uh, out. So what I'm interested in this week is to find out who's the most effective outside of the strike zone. You know, who's the best junk ball hitter, if you will. So I'd like to take a look at contact outside of the, the zone. Okay. Um, and take a look at BABIP on Ooh. on those hits uh, for, for balls that are outside the zone. So if you hit the ball outside the strike zone and it uh, it lands in play, can we track that? We can track that. Um, we talked about this. Uh, we can actually look at pitches outside the strike zone uh, with a, a, a zone direction. We can figure out how many balls someone actually swings outside the zone and see what it gives us in terms of a BABIP. Um, all right. Um, I, I think, you know, there's an obvious answer here. I'm not sure if there is an obvious answer, actually, because it's BABIP, so it's going to be luck-based to a certain regard. You know what? I'm going to go with Joey freaking Rickard. Wow. Wow. That is a... Because he's just going to want to prove people wrong this week, I think. And it's a bold strategy. Yeah. Uh, I thought that the obvious answer would be Adam Jones. All right. So here's my concern with Adam Jones. Uh Adam Jones has been muy en fuego this week. You don't want to pick him and mess with him. I don't want to pick him and mess with him. And I you mean also, like I did with uh, Pedro Alvarez. Absolutely. So there's no way I'm picking Adam Jones to mess with him. If Joey Rickard messes up, that's fine because we just dis- discussed it. It's okay if he messes up. But I'm not touching Adam Jones with a 10-foot pole right now. I would touch Adam Jones. Anyway, uh, so I think Adam Jones is, is my clear, you know, obvious answer. I'm curious as to what you think about two other players, and then I'll stop uh, stalling and I'll sure. pick somebody. Uh, John Scope. John Scope is interesting. Uh, I think he hits he hits a lot more balls in the zone than outside the zone. Um, I think he whiffs a lot of balls outside the zone. But putting balls in play, eh, I don't know if he really has that reach. We talked last week about him using that outside portion of the plate. And he started, started doing it again. But I feel like it was more that outside portion of the zone and that lower portion inside the strike zone still. I don't really see him really going outside the strike zone and, and hitting like launchers or like taking it opposite field that often. And here's the guy I'm leaning toward. Okay. I'm curious as your thoughts. Chris Davis. 
Now, the reason I'm thinking about Chris Davis is that I think that pitching into that shift, he's going to see a lot of pitches inside. Yeah. And I think that it's it's tough because, you know, where does the actual strike zone versus the left-handed strike zone sure. end? But I think that the way Davis hits, particularly when he beats the shift right. and when he hits balls to the moon, he's going to actually hit a lot of balls off the plate on the inner portion. And I think that might push him ahead in this category. What are your thoughts on that? I don't know if I would ever take Chris Davis from a Babbitt standpoint because the shift is can always come back and bite you. All right. I'm going to go with Chris Davis. All right. So we're going with one of the smaller people on the team and one of the biggest people on the team. So you're going Chris Davis. I'm going Joey Rickard. In terms of Babbitt outside the strike zone, who will own it? And with that, let's go find out who did own it this week in the good the bad, and the ugly. That's right, it's that time. It's the good the bad and the ugly this week i'm going to go ahead and get started with the good and for me this week the good was tyler wilson and mike wright we talked about it and if you can get nice starts out of your number five pitcher and we've got two of them that's a good week they they both put together good starts and uh you know here's hoping we can show more of them again i'm dubious but hey they were good this week all right so my good for the week it has to go to adam jones who Again, I called him out last week. I said, you know, maybe he should ride the pine a little bit. Maybe he should go on the DL. And uh, he made me look foolish is the best way to describe it. Uh, Posted up four home runs this week. 520 average. 1.08 slugging. 678 Woba. And a weighted runs created plus a 355. Jackie Bradley Jr. Eat your heart out. Adam Jones should have been AL player of the week. No question. No contest. Hands down. The only reason Adam Jones did not get it is because Manny Machado was player of the week only a few weeks ago. Adam Jones deserved this so much. Adam Jones was in fuego this week, and you could just feel him at the plate all weekend long. Um, Adam Jones, really good. I really like watching Adam Jones play baseball. Yeah, again. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My bad this week is going to go to Joey Rickard. And again, I'm not beating the guy up, but he batted 200 this week as a leadoff hitter. His weighted runs created plus was 47. And that's just, it's just not going to get it done. Again, you know, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but uh, look, when you lose one game out of the last eight, somebody's got to be bad. And he was mine. All right. My bat's going to have to go to Ubaldo Jimenez, who pitched absolutely horrible roller coaster game. The walks were absolutely atrocious. 7.2 walks per nine in this game. Uh, it was bad of Aldo Jimenez, and we're going to occasionally see these games of bad of Aldo Jimenez. But when it's bad, it's tough to watch it from a baseball game standpoint. So Aldo Jimenez, you get my bad because it's just bad baseball watching when you pitch like that. All right. Ugly for me this week is Darren O'Day. And Scott, it's it's not for the reason you think. I'm not saying that Darren O'Day is ugly because he ruined a wonderful Sunday afternoon when I was at the ballgame with my kids. Uh, He's not ugly because he failed to get a call and wasn't mentally tough enough to simply get the next guy out and gave up two gopher balls right afterward. 
That that is not the issue that I have with Darren O'Day. My issue with Darren O'Day is actually him running his mouth afterward. Yeah. And I have to tell you that I understand that sports in general, that baseball is a, a very emotional game. And right after a game ends, you have 10 people in your clubhouse, in your locker room, sticking microphones in your face, asking you tough questions. And sometimes you can say the wrong thing because you are just riddled with emotion. I get all that. But Darren O'Day is a very smart, well-spoken thinker of the game. He is a, he's a veteran. He's a guy that the Orioles invested a lot of money in. He's a clubhouse leader, not a bullpen leader. He's a clubhouse leader. And Darren O'Day made some comments that I thought were sour grapes and shouldn't have been said. If you and I sit behind microphones or on a bar stool or at a water cooler and say that the first base umpire is blind and he made a bad call and he should be fired or whatever, that's okay because we're fans and we don't know any better. Right. But I, I feel the position that Darren O'Day has in this league, on this team, his comments had no place, and it came across as pretty petulant. He admitted that while saying that it came across as petulant. And if that comes out of your mouth, you need to rethink what you're saying. So, Darren O'Day, you were my ugly this week. Jake, I'm going to kind of go off a side topic of this because I think this was great. Um, my ugly for this week was actually going to go to O's pitcher's mental composure. And I thought the Orioles did a really poor job with mental composure this week. Darren O'Day, after not getting that check swing, basically threw two meatballs back-to-back because he was so frustrated. And I've seen this happen, not so much from Darren O'Day, but other pitchers such as Mike Wright, who constantly gets into a situation where he becomes flustered and angry when he doesn't get a call. And he starts to lose it out there on the mound. Orioles pitchers, and maybe hitters in general, need to have that psychology again of it's a long season sometimes the calls are not going to go your way you can't lose your cool in the moment you just have to move on to the next pitch and palmer has mentioned this up before on the broadcast and seen it before uh and i know it can be frustrating and you know you can lose your cool very quickly but you can't lose your cool when you're you're on the mound you have to have that composure and be willing to move on to the next pitch even after um the game is tied if that game was tied going into the eighth and ninth inning, I feel like it's a completely different game than if it's six to five. And that's not just because the Orioles would lose at the very end. No, it's a win. It's just the aspect of I feel like if you just have to get one person on base and then bunt them over and then just get one hit, I think that's a lot easier than saying we need to get one run to tie the game and then we need to go to extra innings and we need to basically blow up our bullpen. Mental composure is the Orioles ugly and they need to work on it in order to survive this long season. With that, blowing the save? Blowing the save. I have to say, Scott Magnus, this is a lovely setup here at SD Studios. I walked in this evening to a whole new look. You have outdone yourself, sir. I have never been more comfortable. We are drinking out of matching mugs. We are. 40th anniversary mugs. I have never been so comfortable uh, recording a podcast. Thank you. You have, uh, as I say, you've outdone yourself. My hat is off to you, sir. Appreciate it. All right. Well, with that, don't think there's anything else going on. No, you know, it's just long winning streaks of Orioles baseball, like you do. We were so close to having an entire week where the Orioles didn't lose. Yeah. And then Jake went to a baseball game. That'll happen. Yeah. That will happen. But... 
fun series coming up against the Seattle Mariners. Uh, Seattle's playing great lately. It'd also be good to give proper accolade back to Nelson Cruz, who, again, fond memories from the 2014 season. With that, Jake? I have nothing else. Baltimore and beyond, I bid you all a fond adieu-adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. It's over. Go home. Go.